Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all the editions of our favorite game. We look at what worked, what didn't, what led to better games, as well as what didn't. We talk about it all. This series features a deep dive into the DMG Rule Supplement series of books. What advice can we take from these books and use in our current games? On the 10th day of Edition Wars, my DM gave to me... Ten lords uh, leaping up from their graves and their sepulchers and all kinds of other creepy stuff. It's great. I love it. With the complete book of necromancers, this 2E source book was written by Steve Kurtz and was published in 1995. This is the seventh in a series of nine DM-focused books for second edition AD&D. You might recognize these as the blue faux leather, faux naugahyde, whatever. Uh, soft cover books. And with me tonight, as always, is my delightful co-host, Sam Dillon. What's up, Sam? Oh, not much. Um, well, some some skeletons that I raised, they're up, and some, some zombies, you know, um, and probably going to have some kind of dark gift, and then also a really bad, you know, side effect to that. But But otherwise, yeah, pretty good. Right. Yeah. And uh, some new classes. Yeah. 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 Well, sort yeah. sort of new. Yeah. Newish. Sort of. Sort of. Well, new at the time, kind of. Ish. Yeah. Ish. It's yeah. it's awfully still a wizard and still a. You know what? We'll get to it. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, uh, good heavens! What is this book? Well, um, this is th- this is an interesting book because the. So this series is an interesting series. The first book is definitely for DMs. Oh boy. The second book, which we didn't actually cover in detail yet, uh, but it is the castle guide. That's also for DMs, right? But players get a lot of joy out of looking at that sort of thing. And it doesn't hurt to let them know some of those details and whatnot. So it's kind of 50, 50. Yeah. I mean, the book is shopping listy enough that if you aren't, you're just having kind of a UI crisis. Right. Right. And the, and the third, yeah, the third book is uh, the equipment guide. Right. So uh, that of course is very player facing. Of course, only for DMs. Oh, wait, wait. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) Right. Very play, but also fun for DMs to read. So it's more player facing. Right. Um, And then of course we covered, Oh no! And then number four, I think, is the monster book, right? It's monster mythology. Sure. So yeah. that's definitely DM facing. Okay. So we go DM facing, fifty-fifty player facing, back to DM facing, and then DMGR uh, five, which we covered, creative campaigning. That's definitely DM facing. And then six villains. That's definitely DM facing. And now we're to number seven, which is a book that is okay. They tie themselves in a pretzel to try to convince you that this is DM facing information. I mean, that's adorable because it's just them writing. It's it's Steve Kurtz uh, writing and Matt Forbeck editing the Tui Book of Wild Darkness. Yeah. That's what this is. Here's what it says it says, in general, the material presented in this tome is for the dungeon master's eyes only. The necromancer put forward herein is a maverick. He or she operates by a set of nasty rules that are completely beyond the realm of most normal player characters. These rules must be kept strictly hidden from the players, 
even if they are adamant about portraying a necromancer. Um, what a decision. Yeah. So, and I don't, here's the thing about this and you're going to learn later that dear listener, you're going to learn later. Brandis already knows that uh, they talk about the price that you pay. There's a whole chapter chapter three we're going to get to tonight about the price you pay for basically trading in these dark arts and getting these dark gifts and studying this type of ancient evil based knowledge. And I think, or maybe I can't decide that the reason why that they are so adamant about well, first of all, I think they, you know, remember this is also the age of uh, we had to change the names of demon, oh, yeah. uh, demons and devils to Tanari and Batizu because we can't say demons and devils, and we can't right. we can't really support players playing assassins, so we're not going to have an assassin class, and right. we can't really support players full out just being evil bastards and raising people who used to be living from the grave. Like we can't really support that, but damn, it's good material. So we want to write a book about it. Right. So we, we know book, it feels really good to be a gangster, but we don't want to right. tell you that we know that. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so that, so, but I, do, I really don't know though, you know, seriously, I don't know if they're really saying that what needs to be kept hidden is the price that's going to be paid and the drawbacks that will be, had because maybe that's supposed to be part of the quote fun right of, or this quote consequences of 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 playing this type of character so you can let a pc play one of these but you need to be stringent about how you give them the information about their powers and what they earn and all that because you're going to spring on them the the price and the consequences? I, I don't well, know. Well, well, so there's a this paragraph here that says, Necromancer PCs are already powerful enough, especially at high level. Sorry, low-level mages. Oof, <laughs> rough, buddy. Uh, given the basics from the player's handbook, they have no need of the additional powers and abilities described in this book. Since a properly played Necromancer PC can significantly unbalance a campaign, I mean, Wow. That's an interesting confession right there. Uh, only experienced DMs. You could replace necromancer them. with the word wizard, though, and it still can't. It's still it a correct sentence, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, only experienced DMs should consider allowing the, the abilities outlined in chapter two. So, I mean, I see that. I get it. I do. I still think they're trying to uh, sneak some blood and bones and gore past the haze code here. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like okay, not not literally the haze code. You get what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, well, like I said, you know, the satanic panic was real. It was a real thing. Some of us suffered from it. Um, some of us uh, were barred from having anything to do with with the game uh, because of it. And and you know, TSR responded to it by removing demons and devils and assassins just to name three from the game. So it was a real phenomenon. It was a real movement. And this, in some ways, I really do think that this is partly because of that, at least. And there is a little bit of unbalancing, but I don't know. Um, I, I think that my take on this book 
is to sort of you, you need to be approaching it from a perspective of overriding that paragraph and just say, "Hey, look, um, stringent balance is not the thing we're here to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, let's follow the story and see where it goes, and look for ways to reward other characters uh, for doing the thing they're doing." In, you know, a similar sense, but different vectors from how we're rewarding the ne- the necromancer for doing the horrible things they're doing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, or or know. imposing penalties, which is also what it suggests in that right. same paragraph that you talk, you know, that you were talking yeah. about. They don't need to receive any abilities, but you know, uh, they're subject to the dangers of the art, and feel free to impose any penalties, <laughs> dick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, uh, so I do, th- I, that's, this is why I say that they're twisting themselves into a pretzel, because I think it was very hard for them at the time to say, look, necromancers are badass. They're going to unbalance your game, just like a high level wizard will unbalance your game. You got to be careful with it, but here's some great new options. Boom, go have fun with it. Yep. Uh, instead, it had to be a little bit controversial. It had to be, you know, strictly made very specifically in the within the purview of the dm whether it was even allowed and so we're gonna sort of pretty that up we're gonna put lipstick on that pig and we're gonna say that uh this is to for the dm to make really great npc villains yep so i i I, i'm i'm having a hard time buying it but you know whatever yeah okay (laughs) um it's all right i mean a lot of competing forces there i think we can Mm-hmm. Uh, approach the text with some some sympathy for hey there are some really complicated and nasty market forces at play here mm-hmm. maybe maybe they did their best with what they had sure sure uh, and the, the 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 attempt to continue the, the attempt to still convince the reader that this is for the dm only continues into chapter one where at the uh, beginning of the second paragraph it says one of the main purposes of this book is to facilitate npc generation for the dm so this is going to be a theme throughout so if you get this book if you have this book and you start reading it just ignore that you're going to see it at various points all throughout this entire book just ignore it that's them trying to unwind the pretzel it's okay that's the pig that i'm saying they're putting lipstick on the actual book content is like fresh, sweet, salty bacon cooked perfectly. Yep. And it well, is really good. Yep. And, and, you know, an interesting thing about this book, having come out in 95, uh, when you get to what you will need um, on the <laughs> right hand side of page seven, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's this massive list of books. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> like, they're acknowledging they can't include every mm-hmm. necromancy spell published for the game. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's reasonable. But, Oh, this is this is entering a mature product line. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So see, so basically, and and what this, so this is actually, this actually tells us that what this book is really doing is it's saying, okay, look, we know there are plenty of necromancy based, the school of necromancy based spells, right? And we know that people want to make necromancers or or wizards who 
who are focused on that. And we know that they want to be a little more devious than what that allows, even though we've got all these spells and all these other books that have been previously published. So now what we're going to do is we're going to write a book to tell the DM exactly how badass this will be if a player gets a hold of this material and really makes an effective necromancer. Because by telling the DM that now the DM has tools to be able to use that in their game and also be able to try to challenge that PC, right? Or have a, a, a yes, a villain that is an alternate, you know, type of necromancer or so, right? It, it's just, it's a way to say, okay, all these things already exist, but now we're going to show you how to use them and give them a little more tools. That's fair. Sure. And then at the end of, at the end of the book, you do also get, so you, you get, um, you get this uh, sort of how to make an NPC necromancer. And then you get a chapter about the actual like dark gifts that you can receive. If you're a, a talented necromancer and you make some, some deals, then you get a chapter on the drawbacks or penalties that could be applied. Then you get um, uh, chapters on a, a wizardly necromancer. And then you get a chapter on a priestly necromancer. Uh, and then you get some allies, you get some tools of the trades, and then you have a whole sort of campaign frame in the last chapter complete with NPCs. So this book runs the gamut from the very basics of, hey, here's what a necromancer is, to here's how to make a wizard-based necromancer, here's how to make a priest-based necromancer, here's all the stuff the DM needs to be able to know about, here's how you can make minions for these individuals if they're villains in your campaign, and hey, by the way, here's a campaign. Yep. It's a lot to pack into 129 pages. And, and accordingly, the font size, as we've uh, <laughs> hinted at a few times in, in passing, is yeah. small. Um, mm. And the main text is is merely small, but you get to some um, some sidebars and tables, and it, it goes microscopic. Yeah. But we'll get to that. So on that note, this is the only one of these books I do not have in hard copy. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I'm looking at the PDF. The PDF is very nicely bookmarked. It's very nicely, you know, it's from the DMs Guild or whatever. It's very nicely uh, set up. Uh, the scan is very, very high quality. It's OCR, so you can search it. And you can use the little magnifying glass button <laughs> and increase yeah. the size so that yeah. you can see it. <laughs> uh, so I, I look at the back cover of my uh, hard copy, and I see the, uh, the eighteen dollar uh, price sticker from Oxford Comics still on it. Um, <laughs> Twenty three if you're from Canada. And yeah, and I'm I'm fairly sure that is still Oxford Comics phone number. I was over there a few weeks ago. Well, mm -hmm. I guess a few months ago now. Um, but I, I I went went there so few times when I was a kid that I'm pretty sure i could I, I still have some like photographic memory images just snapshots i mean mm -hmm. of that like bouncing around my skull as, as that one trip um but yep yeah it's it's sort of <laughs> boy that sure was a specific time it yeah. was <laughs> at least 1995 almost certainly i got this when it came out because i was 
two years into the game and in a hardcore collector mode. If only mm-hmm. I had known, I would have bought so much more Planescape. Yeah. Well, so the reason I don't have it is by the time this came out, I was no longer buying supplements mm-hmm. for D&D. Mm-hmm. So I yep. think I actually, at the time, I stopped at uh, Creative Campaigning was the last one I bought. I picked up Villains and Sages and Specialists later and uh, and of Ships in the Sea, which is number nine, I picked up much later. And this I never ended up picking up because it is exorbitantly expensive now if you go try to buy it. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't priced any of my collection because I don't want to think about how much money is sitting on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so yeah. Chapter one. <laughs> chapter one. Um, much as you were saying, it gets into you know so, some descriptions of necromancers. Um, and uh, sort of stereotypical out of the out of the gate assumptions of necromancers, um, but definitely what you see is the expectation that this villain is going to be built in every way like a PC, and that's that's a strange idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not that they will have a level and and so on, but you know, I'd be surprised to know to, to hear if a lot of DMs were assigning every single weapon proficiency and non-weapon proficiency slot that their mm-hmm. their villains had, and including the XP total is really <laughs> the the kicker there, right? Right. Right. If your villains earn XP, I want to hear about it. And you can email Sam at this address. Right. And this is why uh, this is why we say they're putting themselves in a pretzel and then they present material as if it's player facing. Right. Although, to be fair, it talks about uh, basically it says, um, you know, non-weapon when you get to that section it'll it's going to tell you well you know the non-weapon proficiencies don't really matter for this yep. npc so choose them based on w- when the need arises basically right right but it, but everything right, else right in there with they don't really matter is a whole ton of new non-weapon proficiencies that right no i know are <laughs> awesome as class features basically i know right like these are yeah. great as ideas. Uh, I haven't really dug into their mechanical implementation, but yeah, these are awesome. Um, anyway, um, so they so they go so far as to give a diff, give you various different methods of of attribute creation based on what you want. If you want to create a super villain, blah 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 experience levels like what it would take to get this this npc up to that level uh the spells that you're going to get um restrictions on spell casting and proficiencies as you said and then it has your wonderful table that gives you everything your level your experience needed your hit dice the thaco number your spell levels half the audience just 
withered when I said Thaco. But anyway, spell <laughs> levels, um, weapon and non-weapon proficiencies, those different saving throws. And then then it presents you with kits. Just remember, do you have AD&D? Ask your doctor if Thaco might be right for you. <laughs> if you have Thaco for more than four hours continuously, you might want to see your doctor. Ooh. So, so right. Um, it, it also notes the spell restrictions that you take for being a necromancy specialist, because this is just the applied results of being a specialist necromancer within the wizard class. Right. They're not actually dropping anything new here. They're just showing you this is what you get. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And then and it gets more restrictive also, depending on which kit you choose. Right. Um, and so, you know, much like the other complete class books, uh, you have one that is the baseline, This, in this case called archetypal, because kits always have to be trade-offs where you mm-hmm. lose something, they aren't right. just extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the archetypal is just the baseline, and amazingly, it takes uh, a full page to say this is baseline well it takes a full page to say look this is just a wizard with an evil alignment but you know whatever uh you have to have black clothes or very dark attire that's what it says a very somber attire (laughs) that's that makes your necromancer right there (laughs) yeah um yeah but yes but you know here's the thing right they're being wordy because they're trying to expand on the idea of be thoughtful about this. Uh, I, what, I, what I actually love is that it uh, cites uh, media references mm-hmm. for Archetypal Necromancer. Mm-hmm. And so it lists uh, Sauron, who yeah shows up the, as the Necromancer. That's, that's mm-hmm. accurate. He's actually known as a Necromancer in some situations. Right. Um, uh, Roxanne from Thieves' World, which I haven't read, and The Forsaken, showing mm-hmm. that, yep, Wheel of Time starting to catch on. Right, but but you skipped the entire paragraph right before that, which lists a crap ton of Clark Ashton Smith references. I, I, I did skip that because I haven't read any Clark Ashton Smith. <laughs> Can't make um, that interesting. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. But I'm just I'm just letting the audience know that there's there's more than just those those. It's also goes back to, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and don't don't get me wrong. I'm nothing in the world against Smith. I just mm-hmm. haven't read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if this were written today. Uh, Temps and Weir would be pretty much the whole reference because uh, Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth are so amazing and mm-hmm. so full of <laughs> horrible, horrible necromancers. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean they're pretty amazing. And right. I really love some of them. Some of them are even good people, which is <laughs> wild. Yeah. Um, but it, that would be such an interesting thing to use to inform a new version of this because Mm -hmm. there are these nine houses and each house has its own um, style of necromancy that is unique to it. Well, I guess the first house doesn't, but stick with me here for a second. Eight eight houses do. (laughs) Whatever. Um, But we're going to see some of those kind of come up in maybe oblique ways and that makes it pretty great for that also um so the first real kit that is an archetypal is anatomist um mm-hmm. well wait 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 I, oh, before sorry, you sorry. move away from 
I just want to point out that each of these has, you know, a list of preferred spells or groups, preferred spell groups, weapon proficiencies, non-weapon proficiencies, equipment, and then special benefits, but then also special hindrances. And the archetypal listing for that says most archetypal necromancers pay a terrible personal price for their evil powers by embracing the black arts they subject themselves to countless dangerous side effects the least of which include curses disease physical deformity and madness and then it refers you to chapter three for the price that they're paying and so that's the archetype it only gets worse from there yeah should have should have been a generalist guys it's much safer (laughs) (laughs) um and then the anatomist so then the anatomist is it's at least willing to acknowledge the goodly uh surgeon type Mm -hmm. uh as a a way to play this Mm -hmm. you know you're um uh, linda fiorentino from men in black Mm -hmm. um and uh, yeah you know the idea that um it was necessary for and it might be necessary for anatomists an anatomist to dig up a cadaver, which is illegal, and to dissect that cadaver in order to learn important things about how to heal someone or yep. how things work. And in that case, it's a bad act for a good outcome. So they don't necessarily have to be pure evil. It's that sort of issue that they're playing with. Right. Um, And there is some historical basis for that, right? Because it used to be, it was illegal to do anything with a corpse. And so how did medical people learn? Well, they had clandestine places where they could go and do illegal experiments, basically. But anyway. uh, Yeah. And you you have your resurrection men kind of mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. and uh that's all all to the good um yeah like th- th- this is a really fun one this is definitely very pc friendly in no mm-hmm. small part because the special benefits include better natural healing which you could reasonably want right and autopsy which is a solid investigation skill though why it isn't a standard skill i i don't pretend to know but that's fine yeah i mean i think the idea is you have to specialize so much to be any good at it at all that uh yeah it's you know i don't know yeah it's just interesting to see it assigned like a thief skill mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right it's yeah, a percentile yeah. Oh, yeah. skill 60 percent chance plus two per level yeah i know i know I, I saw that too i actually highlighted that portion because i thought it was pretty awesome yeah. uh, but very interesting though to the way they implemented it they also get weapon proficiency in daggers, including specialization. So mm-hmm. they get more attacks per round with daggers, just in case you wanted to be in a knife fight with your D4 hit die. <laughs> I cannot recommend this. <laughs> it is, it is yeah. definitely emblematic of a kind of design that we would not very much pursue now. Right. No, but the thing the thing about these kits, the thing about the kits in second edition is they always had a couple of things that just really made that kit pop. Yep. And the and the way you did that in second edition was exactly this way. This improved healing and not just it doesn't just heal the the anatomist, but they actually if they treat a poison or disease, the patient gets 
a better saving throw chance. Right. And right? No, I, I like improved healing and I like yeah. autopsy. My my only point is about the weapon specialization and dagger. Yeah, I mean I get but that makes there. sense. It's though. a scalpel thing. Right. It's but just... if you're if you're really good with a knife cutting things up and doing very fine, you know, types of cuts, then it makes sense that you're really good with the smallest type of blade, right? I mean maybe. You know what the you know what the corpse isn't doing? I'm just saying, right? Like they're trying to also make things make sense. And that, that makes sense to me. I know the corpse isn't fighting back. Well, I mean, who knows? Maybe if it was raised, it is fighting back. But anyway, uh, so the then you're not using a scalpel because <laughs> it's not, it, you have spells. You're a wizard. It's fine. Just, yeah. So the special hindrance hindrances are that the anatomist has to regularly practice their skills or lose the benefits of the kit, right? So in other words, they have to practice doing an autopsy or they cannot do an autopsy or get improved healing and help somebody heal something. That's so brutal. if there's a certain amount of time that goes by, they then require formal study again. That is a couple of corpses to practice on before they are, they get their kit abilities back, which is an amazing opportunity to role play. Okay. When we get there, we're going to do this and this and this. And then the anonymous saying, um, guys, when we get there, we're going to take a break for a day. Cause I need to work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, that is something that is very interesting to me because it opens up a ton of weird possibilities and odd situations where, you know, well, your necromancer can't really help you right now because they're still doing their practice autopsy. <laughs> they don't have right. any of their abilities back yet. Right. So on the one hand, that's very kind of shutting down the adventure and we wouldn't do that anymore. On the other, it is... A, a good hard shove into yeah you have some downtime you have to take care of if you want to go on a right. venture today exactly and that's like, what i mean so the plan has to include not just rushing to the scene and starting the adventure right away the plan has to build in okay well for our necromancer to get their skills back they we need downtime absolutely it's perfect yep. um so that's that's pretty cool um i i can i would certainly have some sympathy for the player who found that tedious but at the same time it is like building in chances of getting caught mm-hmm. that's what they're yeah. I think, really going right, for right. it's yeah. just you're going to have to engage with the risk of getting caught mm-hmm. or do something horrible to mm-hmm. you know circumvent that risk yeah. and to be fair it's not like they have to dissect somebody every day it's if you go a month without doing something right so you know that's quite a long time I mean, in all fairness, if they lived in, like, I don't know, Cabot Cove, there'd be a murder every week. <laughs> I mean, you know, that Jessica Fletcher was quite the skilled assassin. I mean, uh, the wonderful investigator. She, she's a sweet old lady who mm-hmm. just maybe had some bad luck magnet features. <laughs> uh, mm, lady, we got questions. Yeah. Um, anyway, Death Slayer is next. Right, so this is, I mean, uh, an obvious good fun, right? This is a necromancer uses necromancy to destroy the undead. Like, how, how can you not have fun? That's a great pitch. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 
And I mean, it, it's it's supposed to be Van Richten, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and they even, you know, a lot of these entries in in here, you know, they cite the Van Richten's guides as, you know, in the Ravenloft setting, blah blah blah. And here's where you could see reference to that. And if you look at this Van Richten's guide, here's what the basis of that, you know. And so it's trying to take some of that information where someone might not actually play in Ravenloft. And in this book, it shows you, well, this is where we've seen this kind of before here. We're putting it out for everybody to use, not just Ravenloft fans. Yeah. I I will say that I think getting into a discussion of Batman Batman, doesn't kill. Yeah. It's a little, little off track, but that's okay. It's, it's not like they went for a really small font size because they were ton of word count. I mean, so here, okay. So for the audience here, here's the example. It's saying um, that this death slayer kit, it doesn't mean that the person craves blood and must kill, or they're just going to die themselves. What it says is that there's this need and they can fight it. So for example, um, we all know Batman's backstory as parents were killed. He never though, he never killed the bad guys even though he might have been on them a little bit. He never killed them. And then it says, quote, the interesting thing about Batman's character, of course, is that he wants to kill all the evil villains that he defeats. He craves revenge, but must continually fight an inner struggle to master his darker desires, end quote. Okay, so here's the thing. That may or may not be a good example, but I will almost guarantee you that the PC that is going to be using this kit is not going to be fighting their inner struggle. They're going to be whipping the out of everybody that they're fighting. Right. One hopes. Yes. They're not, they're not going to be fighting an inner struggle. They aren't going to be Batman. Okay. But their point is this is a personality archetype kind of. Yep. And you know, okay, fine. But. Mm, right. Yeah. And you know, they also uh, name drop uh, Elric of Mel- Melibonet, you know, mm-hmm. good times. Uh, describing that as a necromancer is both wrong and right. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. um, and in the recent film, The Crow, oh, friends. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, friends. Many of us are now withering away to dust because yeah. we're recent. being reminded oh. that we saw that perhaps. Yeah. In the theater? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway, we miss you, Brandon Lee. Sorry, buddy. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so so about the uh the, the skills, equipment, and whatnot. Any any comments about that? Um just kind of glancing over it here. Feel they free have to, to cut f- up me glancing over it. Well, yeah, they, they have to focus their efforts on a single type of undead mm. initially. Mm. Um, that's that's super 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 narrow. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, because it, it's it's um you know the, the the typical choices that they're giving as an example the mummy mummy a mummy specters banshees ghosts vampires or liches. Notice that's an or not an and. I, I would like to have a conversation with anyone who. Uh, fields enough banshees in a campaign to be a make player's that a specific thing. right well i think their idea is the backstory would lead to the enmity of this 
particular individual against that type. But then the mechanic says, oh, well, here's your special benefit. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. We're just talking about something that at best you might use twice in a campaign. That is not all right. 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 It's sort of everything wrong with Ranger favorite enemy, but mm-hmm. we're going to double down and triple down on that crap right. just, and make it go. really specific. Um, yeah. And, you know, honestly, what it gets you is only okay in those mm-hmm. circumstances. Yeah. It might be a stretch to call it okay. It's it's pretty pretty thin. Um, and they try to justify it by saying sort of lesser undead that are easily defeated are not challenging enough to be a special nemesis. But yeah. I mean, Whatever. I don't disagree with that. It's just the only viable choices on here are Spectre, Vampire, and Lich. Mm-hmm. Right. For uh, I'm going to say 98% of all D&D campaigns ever run. Right. Just for you to how get many your benefit, those, we'll talk about how, twice a campaign. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. How many of those do you ever meet in one campaign, right? Like, right. unless you're doing a full-on desert-themed thing where you have a ton of mummies, then maybe mummy is a good choice right. there. But other than that, I don't see... You know, look, if you're playing a campaign where you meet 12 liches at different times. Rough. Yeah, that, that's not typical. So, uh, so I mean, the special hindrances is also fairly light. And yeah, that's what you're going to do anyway. Um, yeah. So this is, in a lot of ways, it winds up being one of the more vanilla ones. Mm-hmm. Um, right, because because here's what the here's here's what it amount, amounts to. It says the obsession to eradicate undead borders on mania, and a few members of this kit are not the sanest of individuals. The horrors of continually battling powerful undead can erode the mental health of even the most strong-willed heroes, even if they retain a fragile hold on their sanity. Death slayers are usually harsh and grim in their dealings with others. Did you hear any mechanical things in there? Because there's not. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's show it's, it's a uh, role play the NPC or the character being really, really mentally unstable. Yeah. Which it's is just, not great. I mean, it's, it's not great. Um, it's sort of the most vanilla edgelord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if anything, I'm just surprised that they get no additional weapon proficiencies. I, I feel like, if you're going to be modeling the characters you say are modeling, I mean, at least a longsword would it kill you? Mm-hmm. Just let's, let's yeah. be generous with all of the other things that we're not granting here. Yeah. Um, also, uh, just as in a point in favor of the hey, this is really for a PC. It says one of the hindrances is if the wizard encounters a mixed group, notice they don't even say necromancer. They just say wizard. If the wizard encounters a mixed group of undead and living creatures, he or she will deal with the deal with the undead opponents first, even if they pose less of a threat. A death slayer who willingly ignores this responsibility automatically forgoes any experience points he or she would normally have gained. I'm sorry. Right. Did your NPC necromancer death slayer gain experience as you mentioned earlier right right like, so yeah let's put the lie to the this is only for npcs right here in the actual rules of the hindrance i mean 
I, I sort of I, I'm sort of charmed by the idea of going to all the trouble of rolling dice for all of the encounters that your NPC has completely off camera that the PC won't <laughs> find out about, so they can you know grind some XP. Like, don't do this, but it's very funny. <laughs> Yeah, um, that is kind of funny. It's a funny image. So next up is the philosopher. Um, and you know the This the, is your this is your crazed sage who wants to study just for the love of the knowledge, but it's it's sort of the idea of some some books of 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 knowledge should not be looked at because they corrupt you as soon as you touch them, right? Right. And um, here in particular, looking at the the you know inspiration, um, the the very heavy HPL uh, mm-hmm. inspiration, right, um, and and also various sort of Lovecraftian horror writers that came after, mm-hmm. um, I really take away from it. Are you are you sure you only mean this to be out be about undead? Because I think you don't. I think yeah, you're actually talking about. Maybe some conjuration of mm-hmm. bad stuff as a as a core thing, mm-hmm. and if I have a disappointment about this book, it's that um, covering some uh, conjuration and demonology would have really been a nice cherry on top mm-hmm. for this. Um, obviously, we've talked about the reasons they couldn't safely do that. Right. 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 Um, just having gone this far, it would have been nice to have the, the whole uh, the whole idea get covered mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they are going to like, name check some ideas that practically go there. Uh, like Netherworld knowledge um, is a new non-one proficiency that is very much in the family of what somebody so summoning demons is into not the undead masters that we're talking about here. Right. 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 And to be fair, the philosophers, um, they get this, they have spheres of necromancy, of course, but also conjuration and summoning. So they do get this sort of summoning element of that snuck in, in the back door. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's also the good. Um, It's the, the special benefits are kind of interesting. Um, there's a you know, legend lore. Well, there's a sorry bardic lore uh, percentile skill. Um, there's, I guess, arguably improved access to psionics. It's not mm. really clear what that paragraph thinks should have thinks should happen here. Um, yeah, I mean, a shaky on that one. They're they're kind of um, yeah, they're they're kind of they're they're trying to straddle the line, right? Um, yep. and then know, a, a it, bonus chance to learn spells. Yeah, remembering that in second ed you have a percent chance mm-hmm. to successfully learn a spell, and if you fail, sorry, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. You'll never know it. Yeah, and then the hindrance again is very similar to the previous one, whereas, um, you know, they have a tenuous grasp on reality because they are so ensconced in this you know, looking at these books and summonings and evil knowledge that they, you know, 
they are unable to re- to to keep an objective or unbiased view of their own research. So they're emotionless. This is a quote. Such an emotionless and impartial perspective is extremely difficult to maintain. So they have internal contradictions because they really just want the knowledge, but then there's all these extra planar forces and it's literally pulling on their brain. So of course they detach from reality a little bit. Yep. And just to reiterate the, the fairly obvious, we're not really into uh, using the, the DSM as our, our list of drawbacks now. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. very much uh, yeah. a product of its time and mm-hmm. not great. Yeah, not my favorite. Not my favorite in fifth edition, not my favorite in any other edition or yep. any other game, really. Um, although I must say in a game like Call of Cthulhu, where there are some very specific things that it has you do, then it's at least part of the tropiness of the setting, if not so wonderful it's still you know it's never wonderful to have mental illness in an rpg right anyway yeah. right and and that's why i think we would all like to see it get away from being you know real mental illness that really exists mm-hmm. right and into okay like what else could a reality break mean right right anyway um mm. anyway yeah so, so un- undead master yep the undead master uh and here are the Media, their their name checking is uh, my my beloved Black Company by Glenn Cook. Um, I, I'm delighted to see that here, as well as still more Clark Ashton Smith. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, he uh, wrote a lot about uh, with dark sorcerers and necromancers. So, I mean, that's a good time. Can't yeah. really blame him. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so, whereas the the death. Whereas that thing was a hunter, supposedly a hunter. Death Slayer, right? right. Death Slayer, right. Uh, it, the undead master is one who creates undead minions, yep. basically, for their own purposes. Um, and, I mean, restricting weapon proficiency still further from the wizard baseline is for mm-hmm. sure a huge yeah. waste of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But um, their special benefits uh, are. You know, commanding additional undead, uh, they, they command undead as evil priests do in second ed, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, then they are, are completely locked down to necromancy, conjuration, and enchantment, mm-hmm. uh, losing out on all the other schools completely. Right, right. Uh, which is rough, um, and it also throws in a. Also, the greatest hindrance is their own self-centered personality, which borders on madness. So that's a big, you know, it's a big, you know, it's part of why they keep citing Smith as one of their, you know, archetypal examples. Right. Some of the stuff that he wrote, because there's, that's very, very much like love, what most people associate with Lovecraft, where there is just a madness with respect to seeing things that are beyond your kin, right? If your brain cannot understand what you're looking at, you go mad. And that's part of what they're trying to sort of lean on as the trope to give you the feel of it. But again, 
I feel like there could be, there's a better way to do this. It's, it's a product of its time for sure. But I think nowadays, if this was written, we wouldn't rely so heavily on, well, obviously this person is so powerful, but they've gone crazy while they learned all those powerful skills. Like, eh. Well, right. And just role-playing disadvantages through mm-hmm. mental illness, balancing out a, a kit or not. Right. They're not the thing. They weren't the thing then. We knew that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's just many other ways that you could say this, you know, saying they're self-centered uh, and that they are megalomaniacs of the highest degree. That's perfect. They're arrogant. They're going to talk down to the PCs. They're going to, you know, if this was the main villain or whatever, right. They're going to have certain behaviors that they're going to exhibit that you could tell the DM, Hey, if you want to make the party understand how self-centered and arrogant this person is. Here's some tips on how to do that rather than just saying, Oh, you know, he's got a madness. Well, uh. right. And, and like role-playing tips are fine and good. And we love that. That's, mm-hmm. that's all fine. Sure. Yeah. Um, then we get into other necromancer kits. Right. Sure. So then it tells us again about, other books that didn't even mention in the beginning. Remember, <laughs> we had that big list of of books. Here is now uh, the complete Wizard's Handbook, of course, and the complete Shire's Handbook, which is the yeah. um, Alcadim version of the Wizard. Uh, and then it specifically points out some of those, so that if you have those books, you can look at them. And then it gives um, a little overview of the two that are the closest. That way, you if you don't have those books, you still get an idea of why they match. And those two are the Witch and the Ghoul Lord. And it doesn't yep. really give us the full outline of those. It doesn't uh, tell us the, you know, the the hindrances and and the benefits and the, the all the proficiencies and all that stuff. It just kind of gives us a rundown of what that particular characterization is. So. Yep, and it, it's very much kind of. Um, would you like to know more? Buy it today. Buy that book. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> there's a sale on eBay. Anyway. Uh, um, yeah, that, that's yeah. exactly what they were saying in 1995 for <laughs> <Yes>. sure. <laughs> um, right. So, so next we get a section that I actually really like uh, yes. that I mentioned before: the mm-hmm. new non-weapon proficiencies, um, and there's. Uh, uh, there's five of them: um, anatomy, necrology, netherworld knowledge, spirit lore, and venom handling. Mm-hmm. Um, to take the last one first, I think that venom handling is awfully close to just being off topic, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> you think so? And also, uh, something went wrong with. The, the last printing. line of that page. Yeah. The last line is supposed to be the first line of the next chapter. Oh, yeah. So it is. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, here's why I mentioned that about Venom handling. So remember, they've taken the assassin out of the game. Sure. Right. And assassins. The is still a weird place to store that. Uh, well, but um, it's because um, you now, because. Ha- Handling poison and poisoning people is an evil act. Sure. Right. Sure. And so other classes can't do it. The assassin was the one who did it, and then the assassin's gone. So now here's a way to pull that back into the game. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it it kind of belongs here as something that an evil PC or evil evil bent PC would do, right? Like someone with a tendency toward evil 
might yeah. be able to actually use this as a yeah, skill. I, mean, I, I get that. It's just necromancers aren't where I necessarily go with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, but we're remember talking that more it, general evil it cites, wizards. Like it cites the, the witch, though, right? Like it cites sure. a witch as. And if you think about venom handling as something that you would do if you were making potions and broths and, you know, I mean, herbal things and yeah, I don't know. It's fine. Um, yeah, it's okay. I mean, uh, anatomy uh, certainly mm-hmm. does what it says in the tin. Um, right. And it, it its main thing is... Um, in addition to just gathering information about anatomy, it... it uh, Provides a synergy bonus to other skills. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting piece of proto third ed. Right. Right. Uh, skill synergies. Um, yeah. Then necrology. Um, it's just, it's undead lore. And mm-hmm. sure. I, I see the, I see the need for that. Yep. As such things go. Um, the, the kinds of topics you can buy and not buy lore about, um, sort of this weird uneven progression throughout uh, the first several years of uh, second ed Mm -hmm. uh, because the list in the player's handbook is sort of very craft skewed in a lot of ways. Right. Um, uh, Then netherworld knowledge is just planar lore, basically uh, especially for the the lower planes, but it says outer planes, but Mm-hmm. I think we have mm-hmm. to read that as mostly meaning the lower planes. Right. Um, uh, you know, that being what nether world is actually means. Um, <laughs> and spirit lore. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's methods to contact spirits, deities, and extra planar powers. Um, right. That's basically uh, speak with dead. Yeah. And the, the percentage kicker for casting percentile role information gathering spells. That's kind of interesting. I see why mm-hmm. you'd want that at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, it's like a, a synergy bonus, right? In a way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely what it is. And I've said before that second ed non one proficiencies are functionally all feats. Mm-hmm. They're, they're feats that might or might not have a, a check involved to use. Right. And that's very much how this comes across. Yeah, I could see that. That makes sense. Because mm-hmm. it, it winds up letting you spoof speak with dad a little bit. Right. Um, and that's cool. Yeah. Um, honestly, like there's plenty to be said for uh, borrowing this and reverting speak with dad a bit back to a more fourth edition skill challenge model. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it even goes, it goes into a little more details. It says, you know, the character has to prepare, prepare before they try to make contact and, yeah, you know, and, and it ta- talks a little bit about, you know, what you're rolling, what happens if the role fails and things like that. And it's almost like introducing a, a little sort of sub game, Yep, in absolutely. the in the guise of uh, a, a non-weapon proficiency, right? Yeah, I mean, it's telling you basically how to run a science in game. Mm-hmm. Right, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, and the then do not appreciate being disturbed and may take revenge. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah. 
I like it. <laughs> so that's that's the new non proficiencies and brings us also to the end of chapter one. Right. Uh, which brings us to chapter two, which is called Dark Gifts. Yeah, now we're talking. <laughs> I, I, I like dark dark gifts right in the middle of dark Christmas time. Wait, what's going on? Um, he's keeping a list. He's checking it twice. Uh, the, yeah, so, he's going to find out who's naughty. Yes, yes, he is. Yes, it's all the necromancers. Anyway, That's the whole list just naughty. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the uh, the du- the first part of this chapter is about dual classing, and so it gives you some guidance on fighter necromancer, thief necromancer, and cleric necromancer, and then psionicist necromancer, which is interesting. I'd, I'd say more about fighter necromancer aside from all of the Harrow the Ninth spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> Right. Um, these sections are not extensive. They're, you know, about three paragraphs each. And it's really just, you know, giving you the benefit and drawback, right? Um, some of the obvious questions like, why would you pick a lock if you can cast knock? So if you're a thief necromancer, think about what you're doing, <laughs> right? Why would you want to do that? And here's, you know, and so it's a decent section. Um, I, I, I do mean- it, it, the, the, asking the question about knock and spider climb is kind of because it costs you a whole spell slot to mm-hmm, me. Right. Like, mm-hmm, right, right. Sure. Yeah. Those are awfully hard to come by even at mid levels. Right. But I, I mean, I, so I guess where I'm going with this is again, here we have the pretzel of yeah. the beginning telling us, Oh, remember this is for NPCs wink, wink, but then, Hey, look, <laughs> here's yeah. three pages on, what you could do with, you know, PCs that want to have partial necromancer skills, you know, yeah, pull like, the other one. He's got bells on. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, do you have anything to say about the, the dual class uh, advice here? Um, not especially. Um, okay. I have, a lot of just disdain for the dual classing rules, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's sort of a separate. We should do multi-classing someday, which is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a thing I hate, but anyway. Oh, oh dude! <laughs> <laughs> I pretty uh, much I pretty much ban multi-classing from any game I run. No multi-classing. Gotcha. Um, I am fine with. Uh, third ed through fifth ed style multi-classing in principle. Mm-hmm. It's not generally going to be my bag, but I'm fine with it in principle. Second ed multi-classing is such a damn mess. We could not do this in this episode though, in fairness. Yeah. No, no. Um, yes. So let's move on. <laughs> but, Wild talents. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. So this is sort of your standard wild talent stuff from complete psionics. And that's, just a strange thing to include here i guess well and what's weird is it kind of gets its own heading but i think it the thing so okay actually i do have something to say about this multi-classing section here's a section again where they start pulling up all these references they they tell you about uh the alcadim ruined kingdom box set which describes a fanatical cult 
um, and that includes necromancy as part of its variety of evil magics that it can perform. And um, it tells you uh, to uh, refer to the dragon article, the even more complete psionicist. And then it, it refers you to oh different God. dragon magazine. And then it refers you to the complete psionics handbook. Right. So it's, it's telling you, Hey, there's a lot more options out here than what we've provided for you. So if you really care about the dual classing thing, you're going to have to look in those other places. Right. But then it has a whole new giant subheading about wild talents. So it's right. kind of, I think they thought, oh, that's a continuity thing. It flows from the, dis- the, the, the you know, the discussion about Sionis' necromancer, but it kind of doesn't. I mean. Oh, right. And I just, I invite you to imagine that you're building an NPC and deciding that you need to roll honestly for whether or not they have a wild talent. And yeah. if they roll uh, a 99 or double zero, actually having the villain's existence fail as their <laughs> mental scores are reduced to three. Right. <laughs> I want you to imagine actually doing this and spending your time doing this. Right. For your One, NPC. Yeah. No. Two. I roll up no. a newspaper. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 very odd. Um, it's it's very odd. And then they spend the next half page with a table, two tables actually, wild devotions and wild sciences. Yep. Um, but they really don't spend much text on this. They're really just saying, "Hey, well, here's the things that would apply. Uh, go right. get that complete sciences handbook if you want to really know about it." Well, and they're they're very much leaning into. This is what would be cool for a necro. Right. Just that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Which is fine. That's fine. And uh, then we get to the next section, which I think the wild talent thing is just miss. We talked a little bit about the, the, the section headers in the last book. This yeah. one I think is one of those misplaced ones, right? It should just be small. It shouldn't be uh, its own section. Probably. Um, no, hard to know. I don't, Mm-hmm. It's not important, really. Yeah. Um, they get their point across, but now we get to the reason you come to this chapter. Right. And yes. Th- th- this is a damn base drop, folks. Yes. Um, so here's what it says. And dark gifts. What's up? Here's what it says. Sooner or later, wizards who employ black necromancy with some regularity are noticed by the dark and mysterious deities that patronize such evil sorceries. Which I love, which means you got some problems, necromancer. <laughs> yep. You're going to get your own little, uh, <laughs> you know, domain of dread. That's going to be a good time. Yeah. Oh, wait. Nope. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. Uh, but there's a, a D20 table of special powers for necromancers. And uh, these are very much for NPCs and not sort of built to be super PC okay in some cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like regen is very dangerous right. to, to put in a PC's yes. hands. Mm. Bestow dying curse, not the most useful for a PC, probably. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But this is straight up just Eldritch Invocations. Right. Yeah. What they're doing here is 5e Warlock Eldritch Invocations. Mm-hmm. I am so into this. Yeah. You are making a pact with a dark power 
it has yep. problems with it because it's a dark power. <laughs> You're making a deal, but you get this great special power in return. Yep. It's really cool. Like Skull Scry is just damn amazing. <laughs> yeah. So the next few pages actually describe them all, and some of them are really, really fun. They're just really fun to read. Like, I'm not going to say there might not be a few of these worth um, snagging and tossing into existing Eldritch Invocations. That's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like Scabrous Touch. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, no. I like that. Well, that's one. terrible. I like it because it's so terrible. It is. It, it's it's it absolutely is, great. It is such a, a, that is an evil villains like thing. And that's the type of thing that they do. They don't do it very often, but when they do, Everyone knows about it and the rumors fly. And that's how you hear about that villain because they are able to inflict this horrible disease, this horrible condition with just the slightest touch of a bare hand. So you make sure you never get touched by the bare hand of that villain. Right. And that's the sort of thing that you can build an entire, you know, legend around. Right. Yep. Which is great. Um, I mean, Unholy Blessing is uh, very much your um, um, Armor of Shadows, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Just th- these are really, really nice. Yeah, and, they're fun. Um, I, my main interest, as anyone who's read my work on Tribality knows, is, okay, now I need to go back and make this an entry in the History of the Warlock series. Mm-hmm. So that's very exciting <laughs> to me right. to yeah. to be reminded this exists because when i wrote that i I totally forgot this existed yeah um yeah and we did touch on how the alienist summoner in um players after spells and magic uh was also a proto warlock Mm -hmm. but uh Mm -hmm. this is this is cool to see um anyway i don't know that we need to go into each individual one any further no uh no, just that they're fun. They're I mean, it's, it's not like there's 30 pages of them, folks. There's there's about four pages. It's a list of 20 of them. The majority of them are really fun. And uh, and so if you want some inspiration, that's a great little set of pages, right, to, to read. Yep. Also, um, Chilling Touch just straight up gives you Lich Touch. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Incredibly, incredibly powerful. <laughs> right, oh my God. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good. Also, Enhanced, enhanced Vision is very straight up a bunch of existing uh, Eldritch invocations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that is great. Anyway, I'm yeah. going to let this go. I swear. <laughs> um, so, so non-human necromancers, non-human. So it makes the case early on that um, the majority of necromancers are human. And the reason for that is that a lot of a lot of the case is that that uh, the person who becomes the necromancer, whatever form of necromancer that they're making, that person is is interested in that because humans are such a short-lived race that we get we get troubled by our own inevitable death, and we start focusing on it and obsessing about it and and uh and studying it and looking at it and that ends up forming the the basis for the the necromantic desire right yep. uh and so you know the long-lived races they're not going to have that right death is not ne- death does never seem so close as it does to a human if you're an elf and you live you know in AD&D uh, 1250 years 
you know, you're not going to be so, and you're not evil aligned, right? You're not going to be so quick to just suddenly be interested in death. It's not that you ignore it or that you think it doesn't happen. It's just that it's not something that you're going to focus on as, as part of your normal sort of whatever. Right. However, it is possible for other humanoid species to actually become necromancers. And so it, it gives some examples. Um, it does. Le- so in this section, it leans quite a bit on the propensity for something to be evil. It has to be able to be evil or it has to come from evil in order to end up being a necromancer. For example, in the drow section, the very first sentence, the elegantly evil race of dark elves make perfect candidates for necromancers. And then it lays out the case because of course, Loth is their steward and, you know, their patron and is pure evil and whatever, whatever. Um, And so you, you now are in the second edition idea of alignment mattering again. Right. And and this is, this is interesting to read right now. Because as we record this, it was a week ago yesterday mm. that Watsi issued the errata right. uh, sort of Regarding. around the world right. about <laughs> drow. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And they, they overwrote the uh, whole idea of drow evil and what it's about, where it comes from, and so on. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so. It, Digging into that here is uh, is interesting, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, Fizzbon's Treasury of Dragons doesn't go into enormous depth, but certainly enough that it's worth a read about um, dragons and undeath. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was certainly expecting the book to go a lot deeper on Draculiches than it did, mm-hmm. uh, but that's fine. Uh, yeah. Which is a good lead into the next section, which is draconic necromancers. Right. That's that's definitely, you know, it's definitely a whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's almost as much text in here as there is in Visbons. Right. Uh, right. And that's not a lot to be to be fair. You know, it doesn't it doesn't spend pages and pages dwelling on drow necromancers and draconic necromancers. It's you know a one page half you know one column of a page. Right yep. for each of those, um, so it's not overwrought, uh, but it does. It's just there for inspiration, really, because as I said, their main their main thesis here is that the majority of necromancers are going to be human. Yep, um, and then we get uh, one last one that I really like: Kithyanki uh, mm-hmm. necromancers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, they're ruled by Lich Queen Vlakith. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, of course, they are all about some necromancy. It's great. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and however, once they reach the twelfth level, Yithyanki are brought before their paranoid and pitiless queen, who <laughs> greedily devours their life force in a solemn right. ritual known as retirement. <laughs> you know what? Speaking as American in twenty twenty one, same. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. How, how was our generation brought up to not expect retirement? I, I blame you, TSR. <laughs> it's all Steve Kurtz's fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. That, that totally yeah. makes sense. 
Um, um, and then it do, it does address the idea that you know the Githyanki are a psionic race, and so it tells you about uh, how to integrate that. So that's fine. Um, just it's the most you know, brutal uh, level cap for a race ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the next uh, section is about. Um, what happens when the necromancer is really focused on immortality and um, how might they attain or try to attain that immortality? Um, yep. And it's honestly a giant wall of text. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, there's it, a picture in there, but um, it, it is a bit guilty of that, yeah. um, but it's talking about, like largely on a mechanical level, uh, what what needs to happen in the rules, mm-hmm. um, what some of the bad stuff is. I I talk about this, you know, a number of times in just how do you employ the dice when it is to the NPC's disadvantage and the PCs aren't around to see it. But just mm-hmm. if you're the kind of DM who rolls the dice for your NPC Necromancer's potion of longevity. I don't I don't know. Like that's right. amazing to me yeah. that, that someone would do that. Mm-hmm. I I genuinely wonder how much the expectation is that that would happen. I you know what? I've read some uh, OSR blog mm-hmm. accounts that make me believe they would regard that as holy writ and would mm-hmm. absolutely do that and would uh, spurn all of us who think that's a waste of a die roll, but sure. I mean, I, I I think it, I think there's enough mini game built into some of these things that that I can reasonably see a DM enjoying. That I could see somebody doing that. I, I can see someone spending that time with their their favorite villain or with their main villain for a campaign and really trying to, you know, do it sort of by the book to make sure that you know they're they're presenting the villain that is perfect for that occasion you know what i mean yeah just having to roll up another one because this one died is the mind-blowing idea right but so maybe then you decide well they didn't die but something went wrong and so now they have this drawback and they're you know, whatever, like for me, it's almost like a, it's a creativity thing, right? Like they're going through and they're doing it and, you know, it's just becomes part of the background of their setting or of their campaign. Right. Like I, I I totally get that. I'm not going to knock that. Uh, Sure. I think it's a choice. Right. And sometimes people really, really enjoy this sort of nitty gritty down and dirty. Let me go through this and roll and whoops, you know, I, I rolled, you know, had a three percent chance, and I rolled it, and you know, um, I mean, you know, I, I think it's part of the it's part of the game, right? I think it's perfectly yep. valid that that people will do that. I think it's less, less, less common now, of course. Well, they don't write mechanics like this anymore, but yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, you know, it, it's it's much less common now. I think to have some to have a you know, such a focus on that, that they would yep. roll that, but yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a section that definitely reminds me of uh, Ars Magica mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. since potions are slow, you're aging and those potions going wrong 
or, or just effective life for wizards and Ars Magica. Right. Well, because, you know, the thing is, it makes the point that when you cast certain spells, it ages you. So that's why wizards, you know, the proverbial standard wizard looks really old. They're not the 18 to 20 year old adventurer anymore, you know, that the fighter is. And then, you know, 10 years later, the fighter's 25, but the wizard looks 65, right? Yeah. And, and there's a there's a reason for that, and it's because wielding such power ages them. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I, see, I enjoy this kind of stuff. I'm not as interested in the mechanical aspects of it and more of the it's, – it's like a game lore kind of thing, right? Sure, sure. But like the, on, on a game lore level, I think this is fine and good. On yeah. a uh, on an assertion that you need to be rolling dice to generate your villain, uh, I, I think it's just bonkers. Right, but remember that that's the premise is that this is for NPCs. But what happens when your PC says, "Well, I want to do. I I need to do this. I need to make an, a, a potion of longevity." Right? His code going to get him. I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying that that's, you know, this is this is basically if you're a DM, here's how to adjudicate that, right? If you haven't come yep. up with your own system already, you know, so. And I actually am, you know, one of those people that would, I probably would, you know, I enjoyed the fact that the classic traveler RPG, you could die in character creation based <laughs> on a role. Like Famously. I thought that was, that was part of the fun. It's part of the game of it. Right. And yeah. so if I had had this book when I was still playing AD and D, I probably would have rolled at least once just to see what would happen. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that leads us to the last part of chapter two, which is undead necromancers and death priests. And, um, you know, this, this section is really just just walking through different types of spellcasting undead. Yeah. yeah. Right. How would a priest approach the immortality part? Right. Like, you know, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing especially shocking here, but mm-hmm. it's also not a problem. Right. Uh, yeah. Which then brings us to chapter three, the price, the price, Vincent price. amazing (laughs) so this chapter is all about um what drawbacks there are to being a wizard who practices the black arts and remember i said at the beginning of this that that one of the things that i was wondering is if they are so vociferously saying that this is really just for NPCs, you know, and twisting themselves into a pretzel, how come a lot of this applies to PCs? And the reason is because really what they're saying is you're going to have to give your PCs some of these drawbacks, some of these afflictions, if they want to really wield strong necromantic power. And they couldn't really bring themselves to say that. So they kind of went around in a circle through the back door. And then we get this chapter, which shows a a huge list of horrible things that could occur. Um, There's social stigma, there's societal stigma, there's um, punishments um, in game for those who, uh, who pledge themselves to a dark deity to get a dark gift and then don't actually follow the, the, the deal they made. Um, 
Oopsie. They basically say, even if you get the gift and you follow the strictures of the deal, you know, you're still just going to get an affliction put on you by that dark power. And the dark powers come in four types, physical deformity, bodily affliction, insanity, madness, or unholy compulsion. And then the rest of the chapter or the rest of the section talks about those four items in quite a bit of detail. Yep. Um, And actually, I will say that the art here is suitably creepy. Yes. Um, On the (laughs) top of page 40, I'm into that. (laughs) It's creepy and horrible. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you know the, the the physical deformities range from just physically aging, you know, having accelerated aging to having um, six fingers on your hands and six toes on your feet, um, turn having your skin turn the color of a corpse, growing tiny small horns on your head, um, you know, your teeth sort of elongating, your your ears elongating, a tail sprouting. I mean, like these aren't. Um, this isn't uh, – some of it is sort of disability, right? Having a club foot, a lame right. leg. Hunchback. Um, right, which eh, we can throw that right out. Um, yep. Eyes similar to an animal. So you have your, your pupils that have a shape instead of just being a, a circular uh, you know, entity or element um, in, yep. your, in your eye. You know, things like that. So they're not – for the most part, they're not horrible. Um, the malignant stench of decay around you all the time <laughs> in a 10 foot radius. You just smell like corpse. Um, I mean, just, just yeah. cologne, just yeah, yeah, yeah. go heavy with cologne. <laughs> It'll be too much in an elevator, but man, you got to do something. Right. Right. Um, you know, but things like that. So they're not horrible for the most part. A uh, couple of them might probably throw out and put something else in there, but um, in general, they're not all that bad. Um Bodily afflictions are, you know, contracting a disease, right? Yep. Um, sickness. I mean, you go around messing with dead bodies. Yeah. But let's just say every culture has taboos against messing with dead bodies and they're for a reason. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, of course, insanity or madness of you know, it, yeah, you can probably guess you know, what we're going to say about this. Yeah, you can skip this, but but it it, it splits them into you know, it, it it tries to say well these these forms of madness are intended to provide role playing opportunities, and then it splits them into six groups: phobia, melancholy, delusion, paranoia, hallucinations, and amnesia. And then it talks about each of those, and you can probably guess my thoughts about that particular thing. Um, you know, I'm all for role-playing advice, but uh, again, um, we can, we can completely change how we present what would be called insanity or madness um, in a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then unholy compo- compulsions also gets a, a, like a D20 table. Um, and some of these compulsions are really bad. Uh, you have to drink fresh blood once per day. You have to, uh, eat all of your meat uncooked. You have to don't drink vine. (laughs) You never speak the truth anymore. Uh, you murder. That one's real hard to make work even as an NPC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just reminded of trying to make that work in, um, changeling the dreaming with Mm -hmm. Puka. That could be tough. Not (laughs) impossible. Just tough. Yeah. Yeah. 
Some of them would would be fun for about one session and then would get real old, howling under the night sky. Well, the good news is in the hands of a villain, that villain's not going to get a second session. Right. The villain is not right. But remember, (laughs) (laughs) remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about the penalty for taking a dark pact and getting that dark art. Right. Um, You know, so, yeah. Um, Um, The the damage kickers for uh, the various materials is nice. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah, I mean that's always a fun of, one to learn about an NPC, right? Yeah, yeah. The majority of this one is a fun read. The majority of it's a fun read. I'm not sure I would use it as written. It's it, some of these are right. You're you gonna know. need to be judicious about it, yeah, just yeah. because all of our yeah. sensibilities have, mm-hmm. have changed over time. Right. Yeah, yeah. This is one that really shows its age a little bit, um, but still contains nuggets of fun, right? I'm not. I'm not saying it. You just throw it out, um, but uh, you know, there's. I mean. There's a pretty fair bit of table nine that's just uh, the bad stuff that happens to Smeagol from the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yep. That's that's fine. I'm into yeah, yeah. all of that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great on an NPC or 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 something, but it's tough when you're trying to instill that into a PC, right? That's yep. that's rough. So you know, and then and then it you know it, it talks about how you don't necessarily have to uh, give all of the proposed uh, handicaps that are you know listed because you you need something that's playable, right? Like even the NPC has to be playable. So you know, right. And uh, then after a final piece of art, it gives us the beginning of chapter four. But we're not going to talk about chapter four yet. But do you have any comments about so far everything that we've learned about necromancers in this book so i mean uh, there there are a lot of ideas here that would go on to shape what i thought was cool right um like the idea of the death slayer is not revolutionary but out of this whole book nothing stuck with me like the death slayer um that just it's because of the batman reference isn't it mm. I'm just kidding. I mean, (laughs) real talk, it's uh, just the, it's the mix of the Elric reference and Mm -hmm. just here's a, is a cool badass way to be a good guy necromancer who might have to do some gross stuff, but it's just still a very straight up good guy in, in real terms. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Like the entry talks about how not all death slayers are good and some of them are corrupted by what they do, I guess. Yeah, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, it's, it's very striking to have a fun way to like be a wizard who interacts with, you know, the undead and isn't awful about it. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and maybe isn't even played all that edgy about it. Like, I will just say, I think the philosopher one doesn't have to be played super evil right. necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would have said that even before reading um, Sixth House Necro in Gideon the Ninth, but what can you do? <laughs> um, like, well, I mean, I'm sure you'll find it no surprise that the anatomist really is like my favorite one. Oh, the anatomist is great. The anatomist, yeah. anatomist is actually just wonderful. I mean, it's Victor Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a Victor Frankenstein's a, a pretty wonderful character, mm-hmm. you know, in a 
man, I up kind of way. <laughs> yeah. I, I made some mistakes. Um, yeah. But like, ultimately I'm enjoying the book so far. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, chapters two and three uh, are really, really strong with the discussions of um, dark gifts and the price. Mm-hmm. I think that not all of it's aged well, but if you're willing to like rethink some of the things uh, springing, you know, by springing back out of the same original idea, you could get to really good places. And as I said before, just seeing again where a lot of the like, warlock content was going to maybe come from, uh, that's very, very fun to me. Right. I, I really enjoy that part. Um, yeah. I mean, I, so I like the anatomist uh, because I teach anatomy, but, uh, but also just from the aspect of, to me, it's a very good way of showing that sort of straddling the line kind of knife's edge issue of, well, this person might really want to do good, but realizes they have to learn bad things in order to accomplish what they think are their goals and how do they how do they do that? Right. It's, it's that same idea actually of Batman beating up people and then not killing them. Right. Yeah. He had, it's his, it's his method and it's, it's better than killing them, but there's a, there's a fine line there and he's always on the edge of it. And so is the anatomist in some ways. Right. Um, and I just think it's really awesome to have an autopsy ability. That's just really cool to me. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I will say though, I, I don't know about that in play. Like I don't know. I, I never had anybody play an anatomist and I never had an NPC that was an anatomist. So I don't know that the strictures as written in, in AD and D that it would actually be a really viable for any of the games that I've run uh, nowadays. I right. could see it. I, cause I could make sure that I made opportunities for that to really work. But back then I don't think I was maybe savvy enough or, or something. To, well, to well right. And like one of the top places you go to, to play that kind of concept now uh, would be your uh, uh, mercy monk from mm-hmm. Tasha's right. uh, obviously also there's a lot of grave cleric and death cleric and with long death monk mm-hmm. kind of uh, options here mm-hmm. as ways to bring a lot of this content into to 5e um, I have my own deep criticisms of the uh, necromancer wizard features mm-hmm. right? Um, right which really amount to Grim Harvest needs to be a lot stronger to be worth using, mm-hmm. but that's fine. Um, but, um, you know, trying to take the Necromancer within Wizard as written and then split it into an anatomist and maybe a Death Slayer and uh, Philosopher would be really a hard sell as a subclass. Mm-hmm. But if you can do it, then more power to you. You're a better designer than I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, not not hard, folks. Just go do your thing. I'll be happy and buy your product. Um, <laughs> well, so so going back to 1995, do you think this book should have had a brown cover on it instead of a blue one? So, like I I remember living in the tail end of the social pressures of the, of the satanic panic, mm-hmm. right? I remember being 
in class uh, I would have been about 13. I think it would have been about 13 when I, you know, was in a free period and I got one of my books out and I got yelled at by the teacher who mm-hmm. was convinced it was satanic. Mm-hmm. Um, like, <laughs> lady, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> right. <laughs> um and so like I remember some of the sense that TSR must have had that pushed this into being being blue cover, much like why there are, you know, you know basically warning labels, you know, content warnings on the Book of Wild Darkness and Third Ed. Mm-hmm. Um with that said, like in in real terms. Probably the the price is safe to stay DM facing. Um, it, it probably it's probably cooler if the PCs don't have the list of prices there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, arguably cooler if they don't have all the list of gifts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not arguably cooler for the PCs to not be able to see the expanded class and all the kits. There's, right. there's no way to really hold that one up. Right, right, right. And theoretically, some of the later material is definitely blue cover. Right. But the, the spell chapters for mm-hmm. priests, for wizards and, and priests, yeah. not arguably DM-facing. No, no. Not, not as a primary thing, anyway. I think they could definitely split this book and make a full-on player-facing version and a full-on DM-facing version. But I think then you'd have to buy both books if you're the DM and that's not, you know, so I understand the decision that was made for yeah. based on the social pressures and the material in the book. But I do think that uh, they could have put a, a Brown triangle on the, uh, you know, made one corner of the book cover Brown or something. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, and the other thing that to me is, is worth noting is how much sexier this book is than the complete wizard's handbook mm-hmm. and the complete mm-hmm. priests, the complete priests, as far as I'm concerned, is just a, a total skip. I nope. <laughs> yeah. That that one that was just a book looking for ways to take things away from you, as far as I could ever tell. Yeah, but that is the topic of a different podcast episode. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. This is a wrap up, and yeah. I'm I'm gonna wrap it up one of these days. But <laughs> so seriously, though, any 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 last thoughts on on the first part of this? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I think that overall it's uh, it's a strong text. I think it's going to get even stronger from here. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that a lot of the best is yet to come. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, so I think that's going to bring us out, though. So where can people find you on the Internet? You can find me at Brandis Stoddard on the Twitter.com. Um, I also write for Tribality.com. My personal blog is brandisstoddard.com, and I have a Patreon that is Brandis Stoddard. How about you, Sam? You can find me at DM Samuel on Twitter, on the bird site, and uh, you can find me at rpgmusings.com. You can find me on the Tome Show Discord. You can find me on all over the Tome Show otherwise, and pretty much uh, other places where I talk about games. You know, any, anywhere you see DM Samuel, that's probably me. Some Somehow I got DM Samuel like 10 years ago when I signed into all these websites and everything. I got DM Samuel and nobody else had that. 
So I didn't have to be like DM Samuel 12 or, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> somehow I got DM Samuel. So there it is. So that's me. Right on. Right on. Right on. And, uh, you know, wear your mask. Omicron. Wear masks. Omicron is uh, bad. Uh, uh, Omicron is definitely the problem we hope you would not have by we're recording this kind of thing last year. Yep. Stay safe. Stay warm. Have a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy anything I'm missing. No offense to anybody I left out. We'll talk to you later. Happy Yule. Yule. Happy Yule. Yes. Happy Festivus. Today when we're recording this, it's Yule. (laughs) It's Festivus. (laughs) When's the airing of grievances? (laughs) 